Well, I want to welcome you guys to, uh, to our little church. If you're new here visiting or if you're family, coming to watch people get baptized. This is Neighbors Church. My name is Dan. My wife Alexis and I, we just are having an absolute blast. It's good. It's good. This is actually, did you guys know this is actually kind of our first official Easter together? Yeah. I am so impressed with our little family. It's ridiculous. Like, we launched, uh, well, we started praying in Easter of like 2019, we kind of officially soft launched in like October of 2019. And then of course we were just getting our feet underneath us when they shut us down in March. We did Easter on Zoom, which was awesome. <laughs> and uh, this is like our first official Easter together. And so it's really, uh, man, the, you guys are, there's flowers, there's bubbles. I mean, what else can you need? And Jesus is alive. He is risen. That was okay. I don't know. That was okay. That was all right. Easter morning, this is a morning where we join literally with millions of Christians across the globe and throughout the last 20 centuries to remember and to declare the resurrection of the Son of God, Jesus of Nazareth, from the dead. Now, I want you to consider something. The celebration of Jesus's resurrection, it's actually a double-edged sword. <laughs> On the one hand, we have the Easter rituals of Christians, and they are absolutely beautiful. <laughs> I mean, look at this. We've got Bubbles. We've got donuts. We've got flowers. I've got a bow tie on. How much better does it? Do you guys want to know how hard it is to tie a bow tie? <laughs> I actually started this tradition wearing a bow tie on Easter's uh, up in Seattle, and so I'm hoping and trusting that in the coming Easter's, all you gentlemen will be dappering up for Sunday morning for the risen King. The point is, we have flowers. We have families. We have meals. We have songs, and so these these Christian rituals, whether low church or high church, during Easter Sunday mornings, they create this kind of greater buoyancy in the communities of Jesus. There's this skip in all of our steps. There's a smile on our face because no matter what we face, no matter the chaos of this cultural moment. We know ultimately deep within our deepest places that all will be well because the king has risen, he is alive, he is ruling from his throne, and he is establishing his reign throughout all of the universe. On the other hand, <laughs> the double-edged sword of the Christian rituals and celebration practices of Easter Sunday morning they are very sobering. And I would even add, when we really begin to think about what we're celebrating this morning, the Easter rituals, the flowers, the fun, the smiles on our faces, the skips in our steps, Easter can get just a little bit terrifying. Let me, let me explain to you what I mean. And I want you to just think with me for just a moment. And I mean, seriously consider this. I awoke very early this morning to go on a prayer walk throughout this neighborhood. <laughs> and as I was walking about the neighborhood, I suddenly had this epiphany. Jesus of Nazareth is really alive right now. He is literally living and breathing and ruling and establishing his reign. This means that as followers of him, as disciples, as apprentices practicing his way here in San Diego, we believe that this man, God raised from the dead, he will never die again. And as he is establishing his rule, everything changes. 
his rule and his authority, if the resurrection actually happened, bears down on every facet of creation. And that, my friends, when you actually think about it, when we cease with the distraction, we slow down and we give earnest thought to the reality that his reign and his resurrection is happening now, that is a sobering thought, if not somewhat terrifying. If the resurrection actually happened, which we Christians believe it did in history, physically, literally, Jesus was raised from the dead, then this means the words that we read Jesus spoke, as the gospel authors record them for us, this means that the words he spoke, all of them were absolutely true. This means that if, if the resurrection actually happened, when Jesus claimed to be the exclusive and only way to the Father, that means if he's alive, there is no other way unto this eternal life that we all long for. That's sobering. That's somewhat terrifying to me. This means when we read through the Sermon on the Mount, if Jesus is alive right now, his challenging teachings, his counterintuitive ways, his blueprint for human flourishing, it carries absolute authority, not only for the Christians gathered here under these tents, not only for the Christians gathered in churches across the globe, this means that Jesus' words, his teachings, his ways, if he is alive, they bear all authority on every single human that has ever existed and ever will exist. That, my friends, is a very sobering and terrifying thought. And the thing that lifts our hearts to the highest high of joy is simultaneously this remembrance of resurrection. It is simultaneously this sobering reality. And the, the, the highest height that we reach and the most sobering facet of our celebrations this morning is that we remember Jesus, God incarnate, God in the flesh, had to literally die to save us from our own deaths. From something that each of us on a runaway train are careening towards, no matter how much we try to ignore it or distract ourselves from it. The reality of this unknown beyond the grave is bearing down on us. And that's sobering. And so Easter, this morning, it's this time of lavish laughter infused with these sober reminders about our ultimate end. And that brings us to our text that Kim read us for the morning. If you have your Bibles or your phones, you can just read along. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 to 15 is the text that we're just saturating in this morning. The author of Hebrews was writing to a community probably somewhere in Italy, deeply, deeply persecuted community. Their culture and their city and their society was falling apart at the seams. They were being marginalized, cast to the side, beaten down, robbed. They were struggling. They were abandoning their faith. And so the author of Hebrews writes to them to encourage them, to warn them, to stay the course, to keep walking, to keep believing, keep trusting. And in chapter 2, verses 14 to 15, he reminds them, since we humans, since the children have flesh and blood, verse 14, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That's the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Fear of death. 
fear of death. That's the sobering reality we are confronted with every Easter morning, annually, year by year. Every Sunday by Sunday, when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, we are confronted with the sobering reality that we are going to die, and that absolutely terrifies us. You know, this past week, in my research for this particular preaching session, I stumbled across an entire subculture of scientists and geneticists and futurists And this particular subculture of people, they're all laboring to free humanity from our slavery to death. They go by the moniker transhumanism. That is, beyond human. So the transhumanist community, they are deeply committed to the belief that we, the human race, can and should evolve beyond our current physical and mental limitations by using science and technology. And many within this subculture, this community of scientists and geneticists and futurists, they believe that through technology and science, we will one day be able to overcome death. Did you guys know that there are scientists out there right now experimenting with like cyborg machine computer enhancements of humanity that are going to make our modern day pacemakers and ventilators and Fitbits look like caveman tools? Implants in the brain, Mark of the Beast for any of you guys that are familiar with the Bible. All these, all these intense things that these people, are, they're, they are experimenting with these things right now. Did you guys know that there are entire businesses that have cropped up that offer cryogenic freezing? How many of you have ever heard of cryogenic freezing? Do you guys know what this is? Okay, so a few of you. Basically, a person or a family can pay a fee and at the point of death, literally One or two minutes after a human body dies, if you've paid this fee to this company, they take you and they put you into a deep freeze cryogenic state. The belief being so that they can thaw you out maybe a hundred years from now when human technology has evolved to the point where they can revive the system and revive the brain. And so you essentially get to live forever because you've been frozen. Did you guys know this? They offer full body freezing, but for a discount price, they'll cut your head off and just freeze your head because it's easier just to freeze your head. Happy Easter. <laughs> Did you guys know that there are like wild-eyed scientists? This, I've been actually following Aubrey de Grey for quite some time. He is a lunatic and a mad science genius. He's a gerontologist from England. And he literally believes that he is discovering, he, he is laboring to discover these medicines that he thinks are going to give us the ability to overcome the aging process completely at some point. And right now, Chinese scientists, they are already prolonging the life of mice using genetic technology like CRISPR. Some of you are very familiar with the stuff that I'm talking about. Let me say this. In all of these things, humans are blasting through these ethical boundary lines, breaking down moral walls that we never even knew we would have the opportunity to break down. What humans are doing is they are taking life and the creation of life and the manipulation of life and the sustaining of life into our own hands. We are in a modern Tower of Babel moment where these new technologies are uniting us to become our own God. And Easter, my friends, is the joy-filling, sobering, terrifying declaration that we cannot save ourselves. We cannot. Easter is the heralding that our only true hope is the resurrection of this peasant stonemason from Galilee. Because Jesus 
had to make a way for us, we must soberly remember and celebrate that. And because Jesus has made a way for us, there is a lightness and a buoyancy that comes about the communities of Jesus' people. So how did he do it? Here's where we're going to move our way into baptism. Number one, Jesus came to us. God came to us. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying. Remember, he says, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. This is the wholly unique teaching of Christian orthodoxy. There is nothing else like this in all the spiritual libraries and gurus and systems of the world. No other system, no other teacher would say, I am God among you. Only orthodox Christianity has presented to the world the reality that God came to us. All other gurus, all other religious systems, whether they be secular or spiritual, say, here's the way you get to eternal life. Here's the way you get to heaven. Here's the way you get to enlightenment. Here's the way you get to God. Check off your boxes. Do your list. Do the things that need to be done. Christianity says, God came to you in the form of Jesus to do for you what you could not do. He became flesh and blood to absorb into his very human being our death as our substitute, and he lived as our representative in the resurrection. The source of our death is one of those good old Bible words, dismissed by society, considered by archaic and dangerous by some. Sin is the source of our death. And so St. Paul tells us that on the cross, the God-man Jesus who knew no sin, became sin for us, that we might, by faith, be given the righteousness of God, that is, the rightness of God, the everlasting, eternal goodness and purity of God, not by our works or efforts to get to him, but as a gift given freely by grace to return us to what it means to be fully human, holy, loved, perfected in Jesus. This means for you, my dear friend, on this sobering, celebratory morning of remembrance that you can quit worrying about how to do life right and how to get it right because of Jesus and the resurrection. We don't have to earn our way anymore by karma or reincarnation or moral code keeping or cryogenic freezing or genetic manipulation. Jesus has absolutely done everything for us by coming to us, and that is what we're celebrating. Number two, he destroyed the enemy. He destroyed the enemy. We do a funny thing as humans when we start dealing with the sobering reality of death. We try to normalize it. We diminish it. And we say things about it that simply are not true. We'll say things like, death is just a doorway through which we must pass. That sounds so soft and so nice and so comforting. Or we'll say, Death is just the natural end of things. It's actually a good process. Or we'll say things like, especially if the person who has died is more along in age, we'll say things like, well, they lived a good long life. And in all of that, we are unconsciously or even consciously trying to convince ourselves that this thing called death is normal. And it's okay and it should just be accepted. And can I just, can I just submit to you this morning that Jesus of Nazareth, the God-man who came to us, and the whole of Christian teaching throughout history would say that that mentality, that death is normal, that mentality is ludicrous. Ludicrous. Silly. According to the New Testament and the Old Testament, and every apostle that ever followed and writ wrote about Jesus, and Jesus himself, death is 
an enemy. It is an enemy. Death is not a normal passageway into what's next. Death is the ultimate enemy of God. Death is the ultimate enemy of humanity. Death resists all that is good in God's world. And so the author of Hebrews here, he emphasizes for us the victory of Jesus over death and the devil. Verse 14 again, he shared in their humanity. He came to us so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. We have to see this. The resurrection is the destroyer of our enemy, and the resurrection is the death of the devil himself. Hundreds of years before Jesus, the Hebrew prophets, they were looking forward to this resurrection reality, this conquering of the ultimate enemy. Hosea in Hosea chapter 13 would write, I will deliver this people from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Where, O oh death, are your plagues? What can you do to me, COVID, said Hosea the prophet. <laughs> Where, O oh grave, is your destruction? Centuries later, St. Paul would pick up in his letters to the Corinthian church, making this his rally cry, his life center. Death has been swallowed up, 1 Corinthians 15. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, where is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs> Yeah, brother. <laughs> Number three, we're almost done. He freed us from the slavery to fear of death. You are a son and a daughter. Freed this morning to face the sobering reality of resurrection with a smile on your face saying, I need not fear death. Easter is this bold declaration. Verse 15 that Jesus frees those who all their lives, that's every one of us, consciously and unconsciously, Jesus frees every one of us who all our lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. We face this enemy as victors, dear friends. And at the deathbeds of Christians, we don't tremble and cower. We declare our victory and we look forward to resurrection. My wife is not with us here today. She's in Idaho. Her grandmother, who was like a second mother to her, began to decline steeply this last month. We knew this was coming. We got the call Thursday that Claire was really going south. Ever the good Catholic, of course she was going to die on Good Friday. <laughs> and so we put Alexis on an airplane and flew her there. Claire continued to decline and she died Saturday morning. And my wife is there with the family now. Me and the kids are flying out Tuesday morning. It's, it's the most fascinating thing because, you know, we Protestants, we don't, can, we don't canonize our saints. We don't, we don't canonize saints and pray to saints. But if, if there was one that we would canonize, it would have been Claire. I always teased her. She was Santa Clarita. <laughs> she loved Jesus so deeply. And so her children, her three children her grandchildren there, around her deathbed, facing the enemy with tears and hurt. This is not normal. This is not good. 
This is not a natural passing on to what's next. This is an enemy of God having its way with one of God's creation. And yet, there around that deathbed, the saints of God were declaring, and we will see our grandmother again. And Claire was careening in that runaway train into that doom that we're all fearing, not with cowardice, but with great courage because of the resurrection of Jesus. And so for you and I, where fear of death ruled in our unconscious or even in our conscience, we now consciously fear the Lord. Here's what wisdom from Proverbs says, Proverbs 14, 27. The fear of the Lord is the fountain of life. We can't gain salvation by nutrition, eating more kale and running more miles. <laughs> we can't cryogenically freeze our way to eternal life. We can't genetically manipulate ourselves to live forever. We can't create enough good deeds to get good karma to reincarnate rather as a bug instead as some king or queen. We, it can't be done. The one thing, the, the, the lost fountain of life is found, the wisdom of Proverbs says, in the fear of the Lord. And so we take our fear of death and we say, I will fear the God who made me. Not in a trembling, cowering fear, but like a child fears their father. Love, joy, excitement, but a recognition of authority. <laughs> the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of death. To walk free from the fear of death is simply to fear the Lord day in, day out. It is the proverbial fountain of life. And to fear the Lord is to trust in his love and in his grace. To fear the Lord is to find true life in him and be freed completely. And so this morning, we're going to turn to baptisms. Joy, you can come on up. To baptisms. That's what a lot of you are here to celebrate with, your kids or your friends who are being baptized. At this point, I know we have at least three people being baptized. And if you are being baptized, I want to go ahead and release you to head back to the bathrooms. And you guys can go get changed. But while I'm doing, while they're going to go get changed, and then I'm going to have to go get changed because I don't want to get my bow tie wet. Um, let me explain baptism to you. Baptism for centuries has been practiced as a, as a symbolic ritual in Christian communities. And so what baptism is, is it is a reflection of the reality of the resurrection. These people are going to be dunked down into an element, the water. And this water, if the pastor leaves them down there too long, is death. And yet, these Christians don't face this water with fear. They approach their death, their symbolic death, knowing that their Savior has truly died for them, came to them, lived for them, died for them, absorbed their sin and their death into his body. And so they'll go down into these waters saying, in Jesus on the cross, I went into his death by faith. And then by the power of another, me and whoever else is in the tank with them, they will be raised lifted lifted out of this and so they can they can face this death with great courage knowing that they will raise from it this means that my grandmother-in-law she's alive because of Jesus that's what we're symbolizing today that's what we're declaring today we're taking people down into this water to declare to all the world there's no other way. 
There's no need to fear anymore. Come and trust. Come and live forever. And I do want to invite you. I would be remiss not to invite you. If the Holy Spirit, if Jesus himself, the living, breathing God, has spoken to you today, come be baptized. It could be that you've had a whole life of moral code keeping, and maybe this morning for the first time you're like, wait, if Jesus died for me, that means all my moral code keeping, great. But I want to trust Jesus. It could be that maybe this morning you've been, maybe you're a little bit more like me, kind of a little bit (laughs) wild-eyed back in the day, and you've just been living like a rebel, just going for it. But it's kind of catching up to you a little bit you're starting to see kind of the cracks in the system like this is not going to work. My soul isn't working. My life isn't working. Everything seems to be falling apart and dying around me. That's Jesus saying, hey, there's no other way but my resurrection. And so I want to invite you. We have shirts up here and you can go into the waters with your nice pants on. Jesus does not care. I want to invite you. If you feel moved this morning, don't miss this opportunity to say, I want to step forward and be baptized in Jesus' name. And so I know we've got three, Hannah and uh, Trevor and Allie. By the way, Trevor and Allie got engaged last night. We can... So we've got balloons, we've got bow ties, we've got engagements, we've got baptisms. What else could happen today? I'm going to go get changed. You guys hang out. Shua's going to noodle around on the piano for some background music. Enjoy each other's company here for the next five minutes or so. I'll come back and then I'm going to give us some instructions on how we do baptisms at Neighbors because it's like a it's like a Metallica party. It gets loud. It's going to be fun. <laughs>